0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Why hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I am so glad you could join me, because today we're going to be talking about a big parenting issue for everybody out there, and that is sleep issues. If you have a kid, you probably have experienced sleep issues sometime in your parental career. If you haven't, you are so lucky and you don't have to listen to this podcast, but if you're like the rest of us, you probably have hit some bumps. Now, if you have anxious kids or sensitive kids, you probably have hit some much bigger bumps because anxiety and sleep issues go hand in hand. But even if you don't have an anxious kid, you can definitely have sleep issues because typical kids have sleep fears just as much as anybody else. So we're going to delve into that. I'm going to talk to you about how to fix that. So maybe you and your little person can get some sleep before I begin, though, I do want to mention that if you haven't already, you should consider joining my private Facebook groups. And I bring that up because that was the impetus for this podcast. I was going to do this podcast anyway, But there had been some chatter on the private Facebook groups about sleep, of course, because like I said, that's like the number one topic parents always want to talk about. And I thought, gosh, maybe I should do that podcast a little bit sooner than later. And so I decided to do it today. So speaking of my private Facebook groups, you can join them. I have two. So I have just regular parenting support for anybody out there who just wants to talk about general parenting issues. And I did create a second one that is purely for parents who are parenting anxious kids. So if you have a child with anxiety or OCD or anything in between, that would be the Facebook group for you. I do notice that a lot of parents join both of them, and that is completely okay and encouraged because there are different conversations going on in both of those groups. So how do you join these groups? Well, you could either go to my website, anxioustoddlers.com. And that is the website that I do all my writing on and the podcast is on. And also my YouTube channel links are on there as well. I'm all over the place. (laughs) Um, If you go all the way down to the bottom of my website, you will find two little pink buttons that say join Facebook parenting support and the other one, Facebook parenting, anxious kids. You need to click those because they are private groups and I will get a little indicator that you want to join. I will make sure that you don't seem like you're a crazy person. (laughs) Although I sometimes miss that completely and people get in anyway, but for the most part, really great people and good parents are trying to join that, but it is private to just make sure that we're all copacetic. So hit that button, I'll get notified and I will let you join. And then you can have a much better intimate discussion with me and all these amazing supportive Uh, parents with a wealth of knowledge. And I love that. Okay. So on to today's topic, I want to first spend some time. Well, all right, before I even begin, I think it's important for me to say just from the get go that there is nothing wrong with having your child sleep in your bed. If that's your gig, like if you're like, Hey, I'm into co-sleeping or I'm into a family bed. No biggie. Like I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people who are happy having co-sleepers. This podcast episode is purely for people who are like, yeah, Natasha, that's not my gig. (laughs) That is not my thing, but life has happened. And that's where we have ended up. And it's purely because my child is having fears and they can't go to sleep. That's the deal. So we're going to be talking about how you deal with, with those situations. So to begin with, I think it's important to talk about some of the myths first and get those out of the way. Because that's normally um a big barrier, I think, to making progress. There's two really big barriers that we have to talk about before we talk about fixing the problem. Because most people just skip to fixing the problem and then you get a lot of yeah butters. <laughs> I call them yeah butters because it's like, yeah, but that doesn't work because da-da-da. Yeah, but that doesn't work because da-da-da. So we have to clear all this other stuff out. Before we can actually get to the core issue of how to fix it so that you don't have a lot of yeah, buts," so for starters, let's talk about four things that people believe that are inaccurate that prevent them from working on this issue. So the first one I often hear is they'll grow out of it. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but they won't. If it's fear-based and even anxiety-based more so then they won't necessarily grow out of it. Especially if you have an anxious child, you know, if you have a typical child and they're having, you know, an episode where, you know, for a few days they're having bad dreams and they're in your room. Yeah. You know, they're going to grow out of it because, you know, that's just typical behavior. But if your child has been in your bed for a really long time, they're not going to necessarily grow out of it. I have 15 year olds. I have 18 year olds in my practice that are still sleeping with their mom and dad. So it's not an age thing. It's an, it's an anxiety thing. The second thing I want to talk about is a lot of times parents will say, you know, we spent a fortune on his room. We bought these really cool bunk beds. We put stars on the ceiling. You know, we got the star Wars sheets that he wanted and he still doesn't want to sleep in there. And I tell parents, well, yeah, He doesn't because it's not about the cool stuff in his room. It's about his fears. And so no matter how cool you make that room, that's not going to work until you address the fears underneath. So that's myth number two. Myth number three is, you know, my kids will decide on their own time in their own time when they want to sleep in their own bed. So when the time is right, my kids will naturally evolve and develop. And they're going to, they're going to eventually say, you know what? I don't want to sleep with my mom and dad and they're going to move out. No, I'm sorry. That's not necessarily true either. Just like number one, they may never decide to want to have their own space and to be in their own room. And that's because if it's fear-based, it feels a lot better to be right next to somebody and they're not developing any coping mechanisms to overcome that. And so they're not going to spontaneously just decide, you know what? I think I'm too old to be sleeping with my mom and dad. I'm ready to spread my wings. Now. Yeah, there are probably a sprinkle of kids out there. Uh, maybe some of yours included that did do that, but that's not the norm. If it's an anxiety related sleep issue. So the last myth I want to address is sometimes people think, you know, the best solution for this is I will. Let them sleep in my bed. And then when they're sleeping, I will bring them into their own bed. And I get that you need to survive. Trust me. I have dealt with sleep issues in my family for as long as I've had kids. And unfortunately, I fix one child and then I have another child and then they have sleep issues because my kids are genetically cursed with anxiety. And with anxiety comes a bunch of sleep issues. So, coffee has been my best friend for 13 years. Isn't that so sad, but it is so true. So trust me when I say I get these sleep problems. And I also get that you have to do what you need to do to survive. I am completely with you. So I, with, when I start talking about all the things that you can do to fix the problem or the things that you shouldn't do, because they're going to make them worse, I get that you have to survive and sleep is critical. And so I'm not telling you to undo these things or stop doing them right away. I'm just trying to open your awareness to long-term what they're doing and how they're kind of not fixing the problem so that down the road, you can slowly incrementally work towards, um, unraveling and undoing these unhelpful habits that a lot of us do, because I think it's not only that we do them, but that we think that they're not causing or adding to the problem. And that's the component that I want to help you understand is it's okay. Like, you know, if your child, your child is still going to be in your bed, you might learn some things today, but you're not going to move your child out of your bed right away. Depending we're going to get into that, but I at least want you to be aware of the things that you want to work towards versus the things that you want to keep. I don't know if that made any sense. (laughs) I didn't get any sleep last night because my littlest one is waking me up. So yeah, I'm tired too. Okay. So when you bring your child, your sleeping child into their own bed at night, what you're essentially doing is creating panic for them when they wake up in the middle of the night and they see that they're not in your room. So however a child falls asleep is how they think it's going to be. Let me explain. So if I'm a little person and I go to bed in your room and I'm warm and I'm, and I'm cozy and I'm falling asleep and you're right next to me, or I'm, you know, feeling secure in your bed. And then I wake up in the middle of the night, which by the way, we all do all of us wake up multiple times a night, but when you have anxiety or when you have bedtime fears, then you can't go back to bed. So it's not necessarily an issue of frequent wakenings in the night. It's just that we all do that. We roll over and you know, we move out of REM sleep or we have to go to the bathroom and we move out of REM sleep and then we come back to bed. That's normal. But when you think that you were in your mom's bed and then you wake up in your bed, you're going to freak out. <laughs> and I bet that's what your kids do. They probably get up and they run right back to your bed because that's where they left off. Or a lot of times parents will lie down with their kids and they will wait until their children are fully asleep and then they will creep out. Does this sound familiar? I could probably pretty much describe most of you because we're all there. We all have done it. So um, I would say the majority of parents who have kids with sleep issues lie down with their kids and they wait until they're completely asleep. Sometimes they fall asleep there too, right? That happens. Or... You know, they're rubbing their back or rubbing their hair and the kids fall asleep with the security that their parent is right there. But unfortunately what that does is it makes them hypervigilant. And so any creak of the bed, when you get up, they're like, where are you going? Right. (laughs) Has that happened to you where you're like, I thought you were dead asleep. You were so, you were snoring. You were like completely out. And the minute I get up, you're like, you're, you shoot out of bed and you're like, where are you going? Don't don't go. Come back, and you're like, ah, oh, I was so close. I was so close, and then you have to sit there again, and maybe you fall asleep. They're like that because they're depending on you to fall asleep. So, in a perfect world, a world where you didn't have sleep issues, you are wanting to move towards one, not putting your child to bed in your bed, and then carrying them, and two not lying with your child until they're fully asleep. You want to, you can stay with them and you can cuddle and you can talk about their day and you can rub their back and you want to leave while they're still awake. I know totally counterintuitive. You're like, are you kidding me, Natasha? Then I will never get any sleep. I'm going to make that night like 10 times longer than it would be. If I could just get her to sleep, totally get it. And you're totally right. Yes. I'm saying long-term you want to move towards that. And we're going to talk about a lot of skills that you can give your kids to help them so that you can get to that point. So, you know, long-term, that should be your goal because when you creep out and they think that you're still there, they're never going to develop any coping mechanisms. So just some things to think about. So let's talk about one last thing before we get into how to fix the problem. The other really big obstacle that I find in my practice is whether you really want to get your kids out of your bed. Now, a lot of, let me just back up. So those of you who are listening to this are going to be in lots of different boats. Some of you probably have a kid that just keeps popping out of their bed and you put them back and they pop out and they wake you up in the middle of the night, maybe, and you put them back in their bed. We are all in different Um, we are, we all have different degrees of sleep issues and you all have different degrees. So some of you listening to this, maybe just have a kid who's afraid to go to sleep at night and then you put them to bed, but it's a little bit, you know, drawn out and then they're fine. Some of you probably have kids that come out of, um, the room multiple times and then they go to bed and they're fine. Some of you have kids that probably wake you up in the middle of the night. You put them back in your bed and they're fine. Some of you probably have kids that are sleeping in your bed. And that might be a big chunk of you as well. And some of you might have kids that are sleeping on the floor in your bedroom. Some of you might have kids sleeping in your bed. Some of you might be sleeping in your kid's bed. I have heard it all. So, so I know a lot of you are in different, different places in this problem, but if they are in your bed, you have to ask yourself, do I really want them out of my bed? And I know that might seem stupid. You're like, yeah, Natasha, that's why I'm listening to your podcast. Of course I do. But you have to really ask yourself how would you feel if your child's not in your bed? Does it trigger your own anxiety? You know, if, because I have made progress with kids where they are fine in their own bed. And then guess what happens? The mom gets anxious and it has to check on them all the time. And she will tell me, like, I just feel weird. I don't, I don't know if they're okay. I can't see them. So, Um, and then a lot of times I'll start to make progress and the, and the parent will say, you know, I've decided that them sleeping in my room is not a big deal. I really don't want to work on this issue anymore. Or a lot of times the dad will have a problem, not a stereotype, but it does happen this way more often than not. The dad will have a problem, but the mom won't. And so I'll meet a couple in therapy and the dad will be like, yeah, the first thing we need to work on is getting her out of our bed. You know, she's. Nine years old, and it's ridiculous. And then the mom will say, Ah, I think we have other issues that we need to work on first. And then down the road, as I start to work on the bed issue, the mom will tell me, You know, a lot of times the dad doesn't come to follow up sessions, or maybe the mom's bringing the the child to the therapy session more often. And the mom will say to me, Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm fine with the sleep issue. Like, that's not even a problem. Like, she can sleep in our bed. That's not a big deal. And And then I'm working on a problem that really doesn't need to be addressed because one parent doesn't see it as an issue and the sleep battle to fix this problem, which we're going to go into is going to take a huge devoted mess of time. You're going to have to be incredibly committed to this idea of getting your child into their own bed because it is not going to happen subtly and it's not going to happen without some pretty big effort. So if your heart is not into it, don't even start because I'm not going to lie. Like you're going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) You're like, okay, Natasha, I hate you. (laughs) You can hate me. I hate sleep problems, you know, but I also am totally realistic. This is a huge, huge issue to fix. It's like the, one of the hardest issues to fix in therapy. And unless the parents are totally on board and they're like, yes, we are rolling up our sleeves. We are ready for this. We are going to conquer it. It's going to be fine. Then don't even bother because you're going to have to be incredibly consistent and you're going to have to be more sleep deprived and you're going to have to give up your Netflix nights for a while until you get it under control. So now if I haven't completely scared you, I want to get into how to fix the problem. So up next, we're going to talk about ways to fix the problem and how to set your kids up for success. Stay tuned. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, for starters, you're going to have to figure out what the problem is. And so a lot of times parents will come into my practice and they'll be like, I don't know why she won't sleep. She's afraid of the dark or she just keeps running back in. She just says she's scared. She doesn't know why kids do know why, because I always figure it out. There's not been one kid that's come into my practice with a sleep issue that I eventually didn't figure out what their core fear is. You don't want to assume that you think you know what it is, because even though a lot of them are pretty obvious, there are some that are unique to each child. And the key to fixing the sleep issue is not punishing them. Good luck with that. That completely will not work. If it's fear-based punishment will never work. You can, you know, bribe them and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to give you a million bucks. If you can let me sleep a night, trust me, I would probably offer that if I had the money, it won't work. If you haven't addressed the fear now, it, it definitely helps. And we will talk about that in a minute, because I am huge on reinforcers. Sometimes parents call it bribing. I don't call it bribing. I call it behaviorally shaping because really that's what it is. It's behaviorally shaping new behavior because if I'm scared to, to do something and someone says, hey, Natasha, I know this is hard, but you know, I'll give you 500 bucks if you do it. Well, then I might like really pull myself together and apply myself and really try to use my skills versus if someone says, just do it or you know, I'm gonna punish you. I don't know. You can't really punish an adult, but I'm not being very creative today. In my examples. Okay. So we'll get into that, but address what the problem is. There are typically, I would say three categories of fears that, that cause sleep issues. So I'm going to go into them and we're going to talk about what will work for each one of them at the end. So they're really basic. The first one is about more of the mind racing and so kids who either have some hyperactivity, um, ADD or ADHD or some general anxiety issues, their mind will race with random worries. Um, I shouldn't have said that today. Why did I say that? Or, oh, tomorrow I have a test or, um, I don't know. I don't want to get a shot <laughs> I use that one. Cause that was my son. Like for, for like six months, he would not be able to go to bed because he, he'd scream from his bedroom, mom. I don't want to get a shot. And I'd be like, you're not going to get a shot for another four years. You're okay. and then going to be quiet. Mom, I'm really scared about shots. So, um, yeah. And we had to fix that worry before he could actually go to sleep and, and do okay. So mind racing and random worries, um, is the first category. And then I'm going to go over, After I talk about all the problems, we're going to talk about just the solutions in general. So the second one is going to seem a little bit weird, but a lot of times kids have a fear of dying at bedtime and in a weird way, that makes sense because going to bed is a little bit like a death where, you know, we're going to shut our eyes for eight hours for me, like five hours for you, maybe three hours. And we're not going to, we're going to lose that time. You know, we're not in control And for anxious kids or kids that have experienced death in their families, that's a really scary time to let go of control. And so sometimes they have a fear of dying. Another one, actually, I'm going to add a fourth one to this. Another one is fear of not being able to get to sleep. I hear that a lot too. They're like, I can't fall asleep. I don't know how to sleep. I forgot how to sleep. What if I never sleep? What if I go five years and I never sleep? I hear that one as well. And I think that a lot of grownups have that fear as well. So that's a common one. And the last one, which is pretty much where the bulk of kids land is fear of bad guys and monsters and aliens and poltergeists, any of those kind of things. Like they're afraid of their safety and depending on their age, they're afraid of different things. So little kids tend to be more about the monsters And then as kids get older, developmentally, they move and they shift to bad guys and the safety of their house. Either way, it's the same kind of thing. So how do you fix these? The first step and the biggest step is you have to address the fear. And so if they're afraid of dying, uh, falling asleep or bad guys, you have to address that if their mind is racing, we're going to talk about that. That's kind of separate. You can't really address that completely. You have to have teach them how to turn their brain off. So if they're having a fear, you want to address the fear and reframe their thinking. And I really can't go into exactly how to do that in detail in this podcast, because this has already been 22 minutes long and I'm not even like done talking. I have a lot to say. So this is going to be a little bit longer of a podcast because it's really hard to, to talk about this in a very short period of time. But I will leave links if you go to my website, com backslash, PSP dash zero ten zero one zero. I will leave links. Um and actually if you just are on iTunes you can click the, the summary button and I will leave a link in there so you don't have to go to my website and I will leave a link to a couple of couple of articles that I've written on how to address kids' fears. And if you want to get crazy, you can take my parenting e-course how to teach kids to crush anxiety. And I, I go into detail about how parents can address their kids' fears, find out what they are and reframe them and continually attack those cognitive distortions that kids have. So we can't do that today, but I will give you some, some things that you can, can read, but you want to address their fear. So if they're having fear of a bad guy, you want to have them have what I call green thoughts and talk about, you know, the possibility of a bad guy address their fears. If they are afraid that someone's gonna, um, like come in through their window and they are on the second floor, you walk through that with them and you say, well, what's the likelihood that someone can come into your window and you have to go down that road or you're not going to get, your kids aren't going to feel safer. And so a lot of times in my practice, well, we'll just use my kid as an example. It's a little bit better. So we got over the shot thing And with anxious kids, it's like, it's going to always be something new. So for a really long period of time, we're doing great. And then, um, a little while, maybe like a year ago, he started to say, I can't go to bed. I don't feel safe. And then I was like, well, what's making you not feel safe? And he said, I think that a bad guy is going to come in and attack me. And so then I would say, so instead of just being like, you're safe, go back to bed you're not teaching your children how to problem solve and think of their own ways out of these these fears. You want to encourage them. This is what I go into with my, um, my parenting e-course, but you want to encourage them to learn how to fight their own fears. So then I said, how would a bad guy hurt you? You're on the second floor. And I try not to use us as a security blanket. So avoid saying things like, You're safe because we're right here. And I know that seems like semantics. And my husband would always shout like, so my kids are upstairs and we're downstairs and we kind of have an open floor plan. So you can like, there's like a little loft so we can have a dialogue back and forth while they're in bed, even though they're upstairs. And, you know, my husband would shout up to them, you're fine. We're right here. And I would glare at him and be like, don't say that. (laughs) I must be like a horrible wife. And he's like, what, what's wrong with that? And I'm like, because then we're basically saying that they're not safe if we're not here. So instead you say, we are all safe in this house. I know that sounds completely stupid, but it does make a difference because you want your children to think that there is no reason to be, to be scared, that there is no reason to feel unsafe. And so when we say we're right here, we can protect you. Then we're almost validating that there is something to worry about. We don't want our little kids to feel like they're not safe. Cause then they'll, they'll never feel secure and they'll never go to bed. So in my house, when my kids get nervous, we'll say, what do you need to tell yourself? And then my kids will say, we're safe. We're all safe in this house. They know the, what I call green thoughts that they need to have at night. So my son was saying he didn't feel safe. And so I said, how, how would someone get to your room? And he said, well, they could like cut a hole in the glass in my bedroom and pop through, you know, very cartoonish. He's seven. And so a lot of the little kids that I work with have very cartoonish fantasy type of belief systems, and you have to tackle those. So I said, how would someone get up to the second floor? Well, they'll take a plunger and they'll walk up the wall. <laughs> you get like this image of like Looney Tunes or something, and they'll stick the plunger to the window and then they'll get their like little knife out and they'll cut a circle and they can get in. And then I had to be like, okay, that's not how plungers really work. And then we got our plunger from the bathroom and I showed him, they don't stick like that. That's just cartoons. It's a very intelligent kid. And so he was like, oh, and that worry went away. So once I addressed the fear, then we could move on to the next step. But until the fear was addressed, we could not move on. So I use that as an example, so you can take your own kids fears and apply it in that way. The second thing you need to do after you address the fear, which is the biggest part is go to your child's room. If they're in their own room and they're not in your bed, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, and sit there and say, what stuff scares you the most in your room? And kids will come into my practice and they'll tell me all sorts of things that scare them in their room. And I'll say, well, did you tell your mom that that shadow bothers you? No. Did you tell your mom that you want those dolls removed because you think that they are, animatronics that are going to come and kill you. Don't have your kids play five nights at Freddy's. <laughs> and that's another episode, but don't, if your kids have that video game or that app, delete it. It is the number one cause of sleep problems with little kids. Five nights at Freddy's. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it, check their iPads, check the YouTube, make sure they're not watching it. Terrible, terrible game for anxious kids. So anyway, Go to the room, see what is around is, um, you know, what shadows are bothering them, what noises bother them and get rid of them, you know, take the dolls out. That's scaring them, you know, get bright lights in their room. If that's what they need and who cares about their circadian rhythm at this point, if bright lights are what they need to go to bed, give them bright lights. They will eventually move past that. Trust me. There's three areas that you need to work on lights, noise, and smells. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but it's so true. So once you've tackled their fear, now you tackle their room. So you fix it with lights. So in my son's room, he now ha- he used to go to bed with his light completely on. I know dysfunctional bad for the circadian rhythm. I get it, but it was, you gotta survive, right? So fix the lighting in the room. And so now we have like a planetary light in his room. So it's actually really beautiful. His room is full of like rainbow stars that are rotating all over his walls and it's very relaxing and I like it, but it also, it, it projects a whole bunch of shadows. And so, um, his room is fully lit up with shadows because of the, of the light. And so his brain isn't trying to imagine what those shadows are because he can chalk it up to the light. He's like, yeah, my, my room is full of shadows. It's just my light. So do what works for your kid. Noise is a big one because kids who are scared, they become hypervigilant of every little sound. And so that noisemaker, um, I mean, not not the noisemaker, that ice maker sounds like someone's trying to break in. The air conditioning go on. Sounds like someone's trying to open my door. Sound screen machines are great. You can get them on Amazon or at Walmart. I like the ones that don't really make any like water sound, like they just are like, shh, just like a generic white noise. I, I find that to be really helpful and you can progress to guided imagery. And this is the thing that works the best for the number one issue that we talked about, mind racing and random worries. Guided imagery is great for all of them, but with the kids that have fears, like fear of um, dying fear of bad guys, fear of safety, you have to tackle, you have to like seriously roll up your sleeves and tackle their anxiety first. But with the kid that just has mind racing, I have to take a test tomorrow or what did I say? That was so stupid. You know, it works for all three of them, four of them. Cause I think I mentioned another one, fear of being able to go to sleep, but guided imagery is great. And so I will leave a link in my show notes as well for the guided imagery CD that we use at my house and that I recommend in my practice But I really like Lori Light. Lori Light has some amazing guided imagery for kids. And, you know, you just get it off of iTunes. Also, there is um, maggiedent.com. And she has a website. She's just a great parenting website. But she does uh, guided imagery for kids as well. And her voice is really soothing. I don't think you can get it on iTunes, though. That's the only problem that I have with her audio tracks is um, I would really love to be able to download it off iTunes, but it was worth it. So I found a way to to still download her stuff because she's great. So I'll leave those two links, but find your own guided imagery that works for your children. And with my, the son that I was talking about, my middle child, who's having these issues, or actually he's not the one with the problem anymore. So we've worked through his issues. We're on to like child number three, but we use Lori light every single night. We put it on and he falls asleep to her voice. And then I come up later and I turn it off. So look it for guided imagery. So that that's the noise. And then the last one smells, it can't, it can't hurt. (laughs) I mean, who, who can complain about smelling like rose petals or lavender in their room at night? It's only a bonus. It's not going to make or break sleep issues, but it can definitely help. So every night I spray this rose spray on my kids' pillows. And if I forget it, they'll ask, Hey mom, you didn't spray my pillow. Now I don't really like when sometimes a lot of people will suggest that you have monster spray, you know, and you're going to spray their room or spray their pillow. I don't like that concept. Although I'm supportive of whatever you want to try. You know, I'm not here to like condemn anything. But I just feel like that's not really um, a great message to convey because you're, again, validating that there are monsters that need spraying. Yes, kids have a big fantasy world, and they are going to believe that there are monsters whether you tell them there are no no monsters. And so when they're really little, it's not really worth having a huge discussion of like, there's no monsters. Uh, I still do that, even though I recommend that it's not going to help or I tell people it's not going to help because I think it sometimes it's good to have a realistic dialogue depending on how old they are. But I normally play more like devil's advocate where I'll say, where do you think the monsters are? They're in my bedroom. They're in my closet. And even for older kids who are afraid that there's like a bad guy in their closet, I like to encourage them to play detective themselves. And so I'll say, go and check your closet. And if they're too afraid, I will do it and I'll bring them with me. Or I'll have kids have a flashlight and I'll say, go check under your bed. And you know, initially, initially I might do it for them, but then you eventually want to move into creating independence and having them check. So if they're scared at night, you say, check your room. If you need to, you know, look under your bed, uh, look in your closet, you know, move all your stuff out of the way. And then you know that you're safe. Have you ever seen a monster? No, I haven't either. Have you ever seen a monster on the news or, you know, whatever they're, it depends on their age for that one. But I do have like older kids who are worried about, uh, very big fantasy type things, and then I'll say, "Well, have you ever seen that on the news?" And they'll be like, "No," and I'm like, "Because that doesn't exist." So depends on developmentally how old your child is to have a conversation like that, but you don't want to validate um, and reconfirm that their fear of monsters is real. And I, I feel like when you call it monster spray and you're spraying their room, that's pretty pretty validating. So do the smells, but um, I call it like good night smells and good dream smells. So, you know, let me put your good dream smells on your pillow and you're going to have better dreams. And that's just uh, suggestive and there's, there's some power in suggestion. So try that. So lights, noise, smells. So you've tackled, you know what they're afraid of. You've tackled what their incorrect perceptions are about why they're not safe. You are not telling them that you're keeping them safe. You are empowering them to feel that they're keeping themselves safe. You have uh, guided imagery or a noise machine, and you can also look into relaxation techniques. There are some amazing relaxation techniques out there that you can walk your children through. And some of those guided imagery CDs also have relaxation techniques. Like Lori Light will teach kids to breathe in her guided imagery. And so she's, she's incorporated that in there, which I love. So that can help. And then you are doing your smells And so you've got it all set up and then you want to set them up for success. And so you have to take small little progressive steps to encourage them to use all of these skills. Now that is going to look different for every family, because maybe you're saying, okay, Natasha, that's great. You just spent a ridiculous amount of time talking about their bedroom. My kid's not even in her bedroom. She's in my bed. So how am I supposed to do that? Well, Everyone's in a different spot. So I just wanted to cover the room and the fears first, but if your child is already in, let's start with a child that's in your bed. You do want to address the fear that you can do. And some kids I work with are even afraid in their parents' bed. So you still want to address that. Now I will throw myself under the bus because I like to do that in this podcast. My first child, I really messed up. <laughs> I'm sure she would totally appreciate me saying that but you live in Lauren, So she was in my bed and she was holding my hand. So she was doing really well because I was one of those parents who I was like, look, she's not going to be, I'm not co-sleeping. I'm not doing any of that. I need my sleep. And we moved to a different house and her bedroom was downstairs and I was upstairs and she wasn't used to that. So at three, when I moved, that's when she developed her sleep issues and she was in my bed. And not only was she in my bed, but she was holding my hand. That's not good. And I had to first get her to not hold my hand. And so we addressed the fear issue. And then I said to her, you can sleep in my bed, but you can't hold my hand. And then she would complain and why? And I'd say, okay, then you have to go to your bed. And I was very strict about it. You have to be really strict with these things. And then she's like, fine, fine. I won't hold your hand. So what I was doing is I was teaching her to self soothe. I wasn't rubbing her back or her hair or having her hold my hand as she fell asleep. I would do it for a few minutes, then I would give her a kiss goodnight, and that was it, so that she wasn't depending on me to fall asleep. And then we did that for quite a while. And then we moved to her sleeping, not on my bed, but in a little bed next to the bed. And she would complain about that. And I would say, you can sleep on this little bed, or you can sleep in your room. Those are the only two choices. And I was strict with that. And eventually she slept on the little bed. Now, throughout this entire process, depending on your child and the degree of stress it's causing, I do believe in a challenge prize box. And so you can go to the dollar store and get some prizes or whatever works for your child. And when they do these things successfully each night, you, you have them earn a prize. Now, if it wasn't a big deal for your child to not hold your hand or not have body contact with you while they're sleeping, they don't need a prize for that. Save that for later. But if it is a big deal, then have a challenge prize box. So then she's, she's on the mattress next to the bed. We do that for a really long time. And then I move the mattress out into the hall and we do that for a really long time. And then eventually she moved to her bedroom. And so I am fast forwarding a very long period of time. You just have to be super consistent and you have to take small steps that are not going to be overwhelming for your child, but a little bit out of their comfort zone. And then you eventually get them in their room. If you go cold Turkey and you're like from my bed and holding my hand to your bedroom, good luck. It's not going to work. You have to take small incremental steps and you can't cave the minute you cave and you go back a step or you go back two steps, you start completely over again. And that's why I told you in the beginning of this podcast, you have to be really, really devoted to this because it's going to be difficult. Now, once they're in their own bedroom, which is maybe where some of you are already at. You never, ever, 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 ever want to allow them to come into your bed. As tired as you are and as exhausted as you are, when you allow them to fall asleep in your bedroom, you start all over again. They are never going to be able to fall asleep and be in their bed if once in a while they come into your bedroom and you just are too tired and you let them fall asleep in there. You are reinforcing that behavior. And I totally get it. You're exhausted and you just want to go to sleep. But if you're working on this and they're earning a prize for staying in their bed at night, when they come in, in the middle of the night, it's so helpful. If you get up and you put them back in their bed, and if you have to stay in the door frame and wait, then do that. But you don't want them to fall asleep back in your bed. Now I get that life is messy and that you're going to be exhausted and you might have days where you're like, screw it. I can't help it. I have to, I have to just go back to sleep. Don't beat yourself up because this is a process and you're going to have setbacks. I'm just telling you what will help and what won't. So in a perfect world, you want to continually put your child back in bed. Now with my five-year-old right now, we're having a challenge because she has had sleep issues since she came out of my womb. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. Even as a baby, she would not sleep for long periods of time. Like for the first year, she was up every two to three hours. She is my child that is trying to slowly kill me. I'm pretty convinced of it. (laughs) Yeah. She's like my nemesis at night. So she's five now and she has never slept in my bed. And I've never like, you know, done any of the things that we talked about because I'm a child therapist and I know what the problems are. So I've not like rubbed her back until she falls asleep. I don't lie down with her so that she can go to bed. I've done none of that, but she has still consistently had a sleep problem because she has anxiety. And so she wakes up like right now we go through good times and we go through bad times. And right now it's a bad time. And so she was sick and she had a cold and she had a cough and things can set you back like family vacations, sleeping in a hotel room illness, all those things can set sleep back. So don't beat yourself up if you have some backsliding when you have those things going on. So she had a cough. So she was waking up multiple times a night and we had had her sleep issue totally in check. And it's come back because now her cough is gone, but she's waking up multiple times a night just for me to like check in with her and put her back to bed. So Even though I am incredibly tired and she is upstairs and I'm downstairs, which is another annoying thing. I go upstairs and I put her back to bed and I go upstairs and I put her back to bed and I go upstairs and I put her back to bed and I don't bring her into my bedroom because that will make the, make the problem worse. So be consistent and stay the course and eventually there will be progress because, You know, that little girl who was holding my hand when she was three and four is 13 now and has not had a sleep issue since she's been four. So, and my seven-year-old who was afraid of bad guys plunging their way up to our second floor bedroom sleeps perfectly fine now. Not a problem. Yes. He has guided imagery and smells and, um, stars on his ceiling, but he has been, he's a solid sleeper now for quite some time. So I have my work in progress with my little per- person, but you will make progress. And that is my point. And if you need further support or some guidance through this, join my private Facebook group, because I know that this is a really exhausting issue and there are other parents out there that can support you and are exactly where you are right now. So I hope you found some gold nuggets in this episode. I know that this is not going to be a silver bullet solution because sleep is not that way. So I get that. But I hope that you're walking away with a couple of aha moments where you're like, okay, I at least know where I need to begin. And I know some of the things that I need to work on long-term to fix the problem. That's my goal. So I hope that you have a great week ahead. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave a review. I would love to see that little empty space of zero reviews get filled up with something. So if you are feeling kind hearted today, can you do me a solid and go and write in a review on wherever you're listening to this? That would be awesome. Until next time, I hope that you find the sparkle in every day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.